Mindfulness does all kinds of things. It can help people do their formal jobs better. It's been tied to safety behaviors, uh, people acting more, more consistently with good protocols and so on and outcomes. Uh, it can help people sort of help their colleagues more. Uh, the more mindful you are, you might be more attentive and caring about others. You can uh, actually reduce the number of bad things people do as well at work instead of getting frustrated and sort of lashing out at their employer. And last but not least, mindfulness can help people relate better. My name is Stephen Smith, and this is the 3 Pi Squared ABA Business Leaders Podcast. On this podcast, we discuss the business of ABA and how to create an ethical and sustainable ABA practice. For more information on our ABA Business Leaders membership or any of the other services and products we provide, you can check us out at www.3pisquared.com. Well, thank you everyone for uh, watching this. It's a pleasure to introduce our speaker today. Uh, it is Professor Christopher Liddy. He is a pioneer in the science of mindfulness at work, an assistant professor at, of management at Providence College. He and his colleagues have developed evidence-based theory regarding the workplace integration and impacts of mindfulness. His ongoing studies explore diverse impacts of mindfulness, interventions, and organizations, including customer service, engagement, feedback, and leadership. Chris earned his PhD in organizational behavior from Case Western Reserve University and holds degrees in economics and city planning from the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and MIT. Previously, he worked as a researcher at the Brookings Institute and MIT Sloan. Chris supports the thriving of individuals and organizations through the design and assessment of mindfulness programs. And with that, you take it over, Chris. All right, great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. So, you know, I think the intro covers what I like to do in terms of research. You know, I sort of came to discover mindfulness when I was pretty young. I was about 12 and I picked up a book by Thich Nhat Hanh. And uh, it really just spoke to me in a very deep, profound way, um, even though it was a very simple book. And so, you know, I got really interested in it at that time, and it became very important to me personally. But I didn't really know what to do with it professionally for some time. Um, and eventually, I realized there was this whole field of organizational research. You know, there really wasn't a lot of, or, or basically no research um, and just emerging practice uh, around what mindfulness could do in the workplace. Like, why do we care about it? Why might it be helpful? What does that look like? And so on. So that's what I decided to devote my research career towards. Um, and I think a lot of other people have kind of gotten excited about this idea around the same time. So you've seen this real surge in interest, uh, both in terms of practice, you know, real world people sort of trying to train people and offer services to employees and customers and so on, um, as well as the research community. Um, there's lots of management research on mindfulness at work these days. Um, in various sectors and populations and outcomes and all that kind of stuff. So that's just a little sort of background. So I thought I, what I thought I'd do is sort of walk through some highlights of, you know, some things that we found in, in our research over the last couple of years, working with a bunch of other team members and colleagues. Research is very much a team sport. So I'll walk you through a little bit and then, you know, we can just have some back and forth dialogue. Um, you know, we can talk about what, what kind of questions um, sort of sound interesting to you or what things come up as, as I go forward. First off, like when we talk about mindfulness at work, you know, there's so many organizations these days that offer mindfulness training in one form or another. 
I think uh, Fidelity put out a survey very recently and they found that something like 50% or more of, you know, large organizations are now offering mindfulness training to their personnel. So it's really, uh, you know, it's gone from basically almost nothing to suddenly this huge societal trend um, pretty much overnight. Um, you know, these are just some of the organizations that offer mindfulness training these days. Um, and there's many, many more. Um, and that guy in the middle is actually Russell Wilson, uh, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, right? And you think about mindfulness at work and, you know, stress reduction and all that, you know, you don't really think about big, bad football players using this, um, but they're one of actually a, n a number of sports teams that are using these techniques for a variety of reasons that we'll, we'll get into in a minute. Um, but lots of other organizations as well, from Google to U.S. Marines to British Parliament to Aetna to Harvard, I mean, you name it. Um, so it's really everywhere these days. Um, and then we can say, well, why is everyone so excited for mindfulness? Well, like, what's so cool about it? You know, does it just kind of like uh, make you a little bit calmer? And, you know, what even is mindfulness? So with a bunch of colleagues, um, we created this uh, review of all the literature and, and tried to say, okay, what, what, what does mindfulness look like at work? So that was a paper that we put out in 2016. Um, so first off, when we talk about mindfulness, we're actually talking about uh, that quality of being really in the present moment, right? You're not thinking about what you did yesterday. You're not thinking about what you're going to have for dinner later. You're really tuned into whatever's going on right now. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? You know, what's your body doing? What's going on in the room around you? Um, so you can think of it as sort of like a state in that particular moment. Um, but we can also talk about it in other ways. Like it can be like sort of a quality, like some people tend to be more present and other people tend to be more scattered, right? Like if you think of somebody like uh, George Costanza, right? Like really not mindful guy. He's always thinking about something someplace else. Um, it also generally involves being accepting of whatever's happening around you. You know, we can also talk about mindfulness training and mindfulness practices, right? If you do a meditation or yoga, or, you know, you just tune in for a couple of seconds while you're taking a, a bite of an apple, all these things can sort of uh, help you be mindful in a given moment. Um, as well as you can do some sort of longer term training program, like uh, mindfulness based stress reduction is a very famous one, but there's many others. Okay, so why do we care about this for work? It sounds kind of esoteric, right? Well, turns out it actually has all kinds of effects on how people function moment by moment. So one thing that mindfulness does is it tends to make you more focused in the moment. You tend to space out less, right? You keep your attention grounded here. Um, and in fact, you might actually even be able to attend to more stuff if you're really tuned in and you're not sort of checked out. So what we found is, okay, so if mindfulness sort of helps you attend a little bit better at work, then that has all kinds of other really important impacts. Um, and in fact, we found that it impacts how people think, how they feel, how they behave, and even how their bodies work at work in all these really cool ways. I can't go into all of it, but, you know, for example, it might help you rethink about a problem. Like, you know, when you get stuck on a problem and, you know, you kind of keep beating your head against the wall or th that feeling, mindfulness can help you kind of look at it from a new perspective and maybe sort of come up with a more creative, better solution. Uh, can help help people feel at work, right? We all have moments where we get frustrated or something. So if you're more mindful, you tend to have less of those. They tend to go away more quickly. You tend to be more even keeled, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, in terms of behavior, people who are more mindful tend to be more intentional. They tend to be less kind of automatic, right, and reactive. They just don't necessarily do things so habitually. They sort of a little more sort of careful. And physiologically is actually in some ways the, the coolest stuff. Like mindfulness can actually slow down aging processes. Um, like at a cellular level, there's compounds called telomeres, or it's an aspect of your DNA. Um, and mindfulness actually slows how quickly those fall apart, essentially, which um, essentially is uh, tied to effective aging, obviously not changing your literal age. And, and it even can slow down how much your brain deteriorates over time. So you can imagine like, that's actually a ton of stuff, right? From something that seems pretty simple. So what does that do? 
Well, we found it actually has really profound impacts for the stuff we really care about in the workplace, like well-being, performance, and relationships. If you're more mindful, you tend to be less likely to get burned out. Uh, you tend to have better job attitudes, like you might be more satisfied with your job, for example. Um, you know, you have better health outcomes, like less pain and so on. So that's sort of like, there's a lot of research around that. What you're seeing more now coming out of the organizational literature is the latter two boxes. We're, we're seeing that mindfulness actually has pretty significant implications for both how people perform at work and how they relate to others at work. And obviously those are interconnected. So mindfulness does all kinds of things. It can help people do their formal jobs better. Um, like for instance, if you're a doctor, maybe it can help you diagnose a patient more effectively um, or a nurse, maybe you can deliver medication better or you know, not, not make a medication error. It's been tied to safety behaviors, uh, people acting more, more consistently with good protocols and so on and outcomes. Uh, it can help people sort of help their colleagues more. Uh, the more mindful you are, you might be more attentive and caring about others. You can uh, actually reduce the number of bad things people do as well at work instead of getting frustrated and sort of lashing out at their employer. Um, it can kind of help them uh, sort of not sort of give into those impulses. And last but not least, mindfulness can help people relate better. Um, there's a really interesting study they did with like clinicians. I believe they were with HIV patients, if I'm not mistaken. But they actually studied them in interactions and they watched them interact with their patients or they recorded them, I'm sorry. And uh, then they asked the patients afterwards, like, you know, did you like this person? Did you feel like they were caring about you? And they found the more mindful the clinician was, the better the communication was, the more patient-centered it was, the more the patients liked the provider. You know, so they were able, even in a few minutes of interaction, they were able to forge a better connection, probably because they were more attentive and caring towards that other person. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one simple thing on one hand, but on the other hand, it has all these impacts and so much more, you know, kind of flow out of that. So, you know, at least when I got into this, I was like, wow, this is really cool stuff. Like who wouldn't want to have more mindfulness at work? At least that was my reaction. Um, you know, I think that's why you're seeing all these people and organizations invest more heavily in mindfulness. But if only it were so simple, right? Um, so that's the good part of this. But at the end of the day, if you're really trying to be mindful, right, you're really in this kind of zened out sort of space. It's, it's sort of at odds with how the usual flow of work often proceeds, right? You know, like I think about, for example, like a busy hospital floor, there's beepers going off, there's patients who are having problems and there's meetings and uh, there's all kinds of rules to follow. And, you know, there's a hundred things to do at any given moment. You got to constantly triage. So, you know, like this lady here kind of looks like she's in this sort of altered state of consciousness. She's totally pieced out. But like that's not necessarily very easy to enact in the context of medical work, for example, or, or many other jobs, right? Investment banking or computer programming or what have you. So like sort of that, the stuff that I just presented was sort of my initial research. But then we started to ask, okay, like how do people actually do this? Can they actually do this? Can they actually be mindful at work? Um, so that sort of set up the next phase of my research where I really started to look at the integration of mindfulness at work. And you can see here, like, you know, some people think of it as very easy to mix in and, and sort of integrate into the workplace, but other people, the way they talk about it, almost more like oil and water, right? It's kind of like, I can be mindful or I can be in that go, go, go mode. But like, how do I, how do I do kind of both of these in the context of my work day? It turns out, you know, it's, it's not so straightforward, I think. So, you know, here, just to give you a little overview of what it's like, right? So we have mindfulness as a sense of being, right? And that, these are these properties here on the right. Like I mentioned, it's about being present. It's about being accepting. You're not necessarily trying to achieve stuff. You're just kind of there in the moment. You're sort of experiencing what's around you. But work usually requires us to be in this go, go, go doing mode, right? You're, you're, you're making judgments. Is this person good enough? Or, is, you know, do I need to go with that person? Um, you know, do I need to scold this person for screwing up something? You know, you're thinking about what you did yesterday and planning for tomorrow. 
um, you know, you're kind of not necessarily always engaging with the people or, or whatever else is right there. You're kind of imagining things about it. You're, you're using concepts to interpret the workplace. So these don't necessarily fit all that easily. So what we started to do is we started to talk about interview professionals who are in the workplace and say, okay, like, how do you guys manage this? What's your, what's your experience like this? Um, there were a number of healthcare people as well as a, a bunch of other people from other professions. It was a pretty diverse group, honestly. So the first thing we came up is that some people said, you know what, sometimes I'm so stuck in my doing mode that it's kind of like, you know, sometimes it's good at work, but it's also can be problematic, right? If I'm just evaluating and judging everybody around me, it's going to be hard to build a positive relationship with people, for example. Or if I'm always doing what I've done before, how do I solve a new problem? So, you know, one thing they said is, hey, when you're mindful, you kind of like the doing mode, you get out of those bad habits or the limitations of that. And you can sort of approach things in a new way that's helpful. But on the flip side, people who are mindful said, you know what, sometimes I get stuck in doing mode. Sometimes my mind is just revving so much. I got, you know, I'm thinking of my task list with 27 things. I can't really tune into to being here in the moment. So it's actually a bit of a challenge for me. So, you know, it was an interesting sort of finding actually, um, you know, we sort of created this conceptual schematic here to say, oh, you know, it's kind of like these people have these sort of two modes, but you know, they're aware of mindfulness at some level, but it's basically like the doing mode is just taken over. They can't really be mindful in a given moment. They're stuck, even if they want to be mindful. So what we found conversely is that over time, as people developed expertise and mastery of mindfulness, oftentimes what they reported is they almost had like these two modes kind of running together, right? It's like they could almost um, engage in that doing mode. Like for example, a supervisor finding a subordinate who had messed up something, right? And they can evaluate, yeah, you screwed this up and I got to go tell you about all the problems you're doing and how you did it wrong. But they also, at the same time, have this sense of being with this person. Like, I'm there with you. I'm accepting you. This is a mistake, but that's okay. You know, I can sort of work with you and build a relationship with you and help you try to solve the problem, um, as opposed to just going into critique or whatever else they would have done. So, you know, having both of these modes kind of running simultaneously was actually helpful when they could actually make it happen, when they weren't just stuck. So, you know, to me, like, you know, what's sort of the best piece here, or the, you know, the best possible sort of outcome, um, at least in some situations, was you almost get a fusion of these two, right? You kind of have this sense of evaluation and acceptance playing out at the same time. Or, you know, if you're doing strategic planning, you're present with the people you're talking to about making plans and you might be planning years out at the same time. You're kind of doing both at the same time. So that's sort of like the ultimate potential of mindfulness at work. Um, you know, applying this to the medical context, uh, you know, you, you can imagine a nurse who's sort of um, having to assess a patient see what the problems are, take their feedback about whether their care is working or not. Um, while also at the same time being empathetic, relating to them, not just going through the motions with that person. Or, you know, a doctor who's not just stuck in their initial diagnosis, they're sort of open and curious and able to respond if it, you know, symptoms or the patient doesn't line up with that. At least that's the ideal. I'm not sure it always works that way, but um, that's, it's cool and it does. And then, you know, that was sort of theoretical work and is based on talking to people. Um, so I think it's an exciting way to make sense of, you know, what's going on in an open-ended way. But, you know, it's nice to see this also in a more sort of rigorous, traditional, quantitative study design. Um, so actually, that's kind of what I've been up to in very recently. Um, and actually, with a bunch of colleagues, uh, we just put out an article in Harvard Business Review on this. So we tested this out. Like, you know, if people are mindful at work, does this actually create some problems, right? Because you know, maybe if you're in that being mode, it's not always optimal um, when, when work expects you to do stuff all the time. So what we found here was actually, that was actually the case. 
So here's this theoretical model and I'll talk it through with you. So you kind of have on the, the main piece here, there's sort of this thing's called surface acting leads to self-control depletion. And then it leads to three different types of performance, complicated terms, fancy research terms. It's actually pretty simple. So what you're seeing here is these are people who are basically being fake at work, right? Um, you know, this is a waiter getting yelled at for who knows what, right? And they just have to smile at a customer. So for jobs that require people to do a lot of this, um, what tends to happen is people tend to sort of lose their intentionality, right? No one likes to be fake and just sort of get yelled at or whatever else. So what happens is the more you're kind of aware of this, the more you tend to sort of lose your ability to be sort of, you know, manage your impulses and, and stay focused on your goals, not self-control depletion. A uh, good example of this would be like if you were dieting and you resist having cookies, right? And you're always saying like, I don't have a cookie. I don't have a cookie. Sooner or later, you're probably going to break down and eat a whole box. So it's kind of the workplace equivalent of that. And then what we found is this tends to lead to all kinds of bad performance. If you're, if you're not able to control yourself, you don't perform very well. So what's interesting is that mindfulness, generally speaking, you know, is seen as sort of helping people perform better and, and increase their self-control. What we found here is actually that it actually in, some, in certain cases actually made this process worse, not better. Um, so let me show the results here, just a, a one quick little picture. So what you see here is this, this bar here is the amount of self-control that people had when they were low, had a low level of mindfulness. And this dotted line is the amount of self-control they had when they were high in mindfulness. So the first thing you can see here is that if there's not a lot of surface acting in your environment, like say a job where you can be really authentic, man, you really want to be mindful because these people had very low self-control depletion, right? Or, you know, another way to say this is they should have high performance, right? If you have low depletion, you should have high performance. But you can see these lines basically meet up in areas, uh, in, in situations where there's a lot of surface acting, a lot of inauthenticity demanded. In fact, there's no difference between mindful people and uh, less mindful people. So what's the implication of this? For one, you know, I think it says that if you can be mindful in an authentic environment, then it's a really fantastic thing. If you're having an environment that is forcing you to be really inauthentic, then being mindful might not be as helpful. So that's sort of one takeaway. But in many ways, I think what the bigger takeaway here is, is that it's not always easy to be mindful at work, right? It can be challenging when there's sort of bad stuff happening in your workplace, like being fake or, you know, maybe there's other things, right? Um, in a medical context, people are in pain or people are yelling at you or you have too much work or whatever it is. So as I said, it's, there's a lot of potential with mindfulness at work, but I think we're just starting to understand these sort of challenges and complexities, which... I don't think make mindfulness a bad idea in any way, but they show, you know, it's a little more complicated and we have to help people sort of be mindful in the workplace to get the most value out of it. So that's sort of like just a little intro to sort of how I conceptualize mindfulness and research it, but I'm wide open to discussing how you guys want to talk about it or if you have questions or follow-ups. Yeah. Thank you for that. It, it sounds like a place that is offering, you know, the term Mick mindfulness is probably not going to be very beneficial, but point. If you like set up the culture where it is a mindful culture. Like you said, they can be They're authentic. They're welcome. It seems to be very effective. Yes. That was, that was absolutely a, I think a reasonable implication of this particular study, you know, and I, people talk about mindfulness programs as sort of being, like pushed on employees to go pacify them and so on. And, you know, I think our results 
here point to the fact like that might not be that effective a strategy, right? Like you got to get people to really buy into this and, you know, kind of a more core kind of way. If you get that, it can be awesome. If you don't get that, I'm not sure it's really going to be all that helpful. Yeah. Yeah. When we're working with companies trying to implement this, right? If we get leaders on board, it can be amazing, right? Like it's right. transformative, right? Like yeah. I see that with my wife's company where her turnover has gone to zero, burnout is wow. down. Like it's just, yeah. it's been very helpful. But if management leadership is like, what is this, right? It just doesn't seem to help, right? Um, yeah. I, I'm curious, like, have you done any research on like ethics and employee ethics with mindfulness? I haven't really done it directly, but what I'll say, I've seen a few things that make me think generally that it should be positively connected to ethical conduct. Um, first, other people have studied this and have found generally mindfulness does make you more aware of others, more concerned about others, more helpful. There was a great study out of Northeastern, not in management, but in uh, psychology um, a couple of years ago. And they, they had a really clear design. So they, they, had a, they put people through a mindfulness training program or a, like a placebo program. And then they said, oh, we want to have you come in and do some cognitive testing. So they had them come in and they had a tight little waiting room um, with like three chairs. And uh, so the person sits down, they take the third chair. There's people sitting in the other two chairs. They're Confederates. And then somebody shows up, another Confederate uh, with what appears to be a broken leg and discomfort. And they're on crutches hobbling around. Now, if you're really aware and concerned about someone else, the obvious thing to do is go give up your seat so this person can sit there. I think that'd be an ethical response to that situation. Um, and what they found was that the people who've been through the mindfulness training were actually much more likely to do this. So, you know, it's a small little lab study, but I think it demonstrates the principle that, you know, being mindful might help you be more aware of and responsive to other people. You know, in terms of our research, like the study I showed you, uh, mindfulness did predict an increased level of what's formally called organizational citizenship behaviors, uh, you know, essentially helping out others, helping out the organization. So I don't know if that's exactly ethics, but it's still a sense of, so we're all in this together. We're all going to work together and be positive. And conversely, it predicted less uh, deviant behavior, like unethical things from minor stuff like stealing some office supplies, you know, taking some paper clips home with you to something extreme like arson or, or, or you know, sabotage or theft or those kinds of uh, very nasty kinds of behaviors. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential for having people, you know, people who are more mindful at work would be less likely to engage in unethical kinds of acts and more likely to engage in caring and responsivity to others. And it, but it's still kind of the same thing, right? Like you can have a mindfulness person in an unethical company and there really isn't probably going to be that much pull, right? Like it's just this is where they're at. They, they don't really have as much control, right? Yeah, it's interesting though. I mean, like maybe the turnover is higher or maybe they don't get into that company in the first place. Uh, you know, assuming you found a person who's mindful in an unethical company, yeah, maybe it doesn't have that much effect directly, but maybe there's other effects like, you know, kind of like shaping how they engage or maybe they um, try to advocate for more ethical practices in the company or so on. Again, great questions. I don't think anyone's really studied this, but I wouldn't necessarily assume it doesn't have any effect, even in a context that's sort of encouraging of unethical behavior. And when you're building out a program, right, um, what, what is it like as far as from the company, the leadership side of things, what do you see as the most effective way to do that? I think to me, it's, it's not so much that there's a one size fits all approach, right? It, I think it's really more like trying to meet people where they're at. You know, think of it more like an architect trying to design a house for somebody, right? Like you want some basics, like it has to be structurally sound and so on. But, 
you know, the house that's going to work for you, the house that's going to work for me. Uh, those are probably going to be different houses, right? So I think it's more like tapping into the, the existing culture, the existing values, the existing work, and trying to build in a program that sort of fits within that structure by and large. For instance, like, you know, I was uh, working with some folks at Aetna for a little while. And, you know, one of the things they have are, are customer service people. And, you know, it's like they're on the phone all day with people who, you know, have all kinds of serious financial and, and uh, medical problems, right? So it's like they want to be really focused on taking care of those people and building a good customer relationship, right? So it's like at the same time, they're also very busy, right? Because they're taking calls all day. So like, you know, you have to think about, you know, what are the values we tie that to, like customer service, empathy, and so on. Um, and then thinking through, you know, how can we structure it such that sort of work as usual continues, at least by and large, while also trying to create these uh, mindful moments, if you will, um, and giving space for these folks to actually, you know, get some experience with that. So, you know, I wish there was some magic sauce to go figuring it out. Um, but I think it's really much more of a question of, of trying to build something organically in each place rather than sort of top-down imposition of some model that works someplace else. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, absolutely. To be authentic, it has to be a, your own, right? Like, it, it's like this box is not going to work for everyone. That's kind of literally the, the definition of mindfulness, right? Like, it's like your thing. It's you, it's you and trying to take something that worked for one company is not going to really help another one. There's, there's fundamental things that need to be in there, but it really does need, like you said, it needs to be top down, bottom up, right? It really needs to be a grassroots plus leadership buy-in. And uh, Totally agree. Yeah. And I mean, it also really depends on the organization, right? Like if you think about your deploying it in some, I don't know, hospital or some medical environment versus a company like SAP, which makes databases, you know, it's like both companies can, both organizations can be super enthusiastic for mindfulness, but I have a hard time believing it's going to look the same in each organization, right? Because they're, they're just, the organizations are so different. The people are different. The work is different. The physical space is different. Like to think that one size is going to work, you know, one size approach is going to work in both places equally is, is probably uh, unrealistic. Do you have any questions, Kim? Yeah. Um, what does mindfulness training look like in practice? Do you have any examples? I'm not sure what that would look like in our field? Yeah, good question. Um, so the traditional model would be more of like, um, well, I suppose your very traditional model would be going to like, you know, an ashram or a monastery on a mountaintop or something, right? Um, and you get away from the world and you go sit there with uh, the guru, the master for some period of time and um, totally disengage. And you sort of do meditation for hours a day, who knows, it could be weeks or months on end, maybe you don't even talk. Right. So that's the old school seclusion isolation model. Um, that's obviously very extreme. I don't, you know, well, it's an interesting extreme example. I don't know how practical that is for today's, you know, average workplace or, or employee, frankly. You know, so the next sort of level, sort of a little more low key version of that, I guess, would be something like mindfulness based stress reduction. So this is a program pioneered by John Kabat-Zinn in the 70s based on Buddhist principles, but a more secularized version. Um, and they originally pioneered that to go work with people who had very serious medical problems who the medical system wasn't helping all that much, you know, like advanced cancer, chronic pain, these kinds of things. It was still a very involved process. I think the average training is about 60 hours. So you go sit in a class for eight weeks and every day you do meditation homework, you go sit and meditate. The teacher would sort of talk about some of these principles They'd sort of teach you how to do the breathing and, and so on, do some yoga. Um, and you were there in the class and you'd sort of talk about your experiences with your compadres. Now, 
I think as we're moving forward, you know, people are sort of reducing the intensity of training programs to a significant degree. Like uh, these days, a lot of people are just getting apps, right? You might do 10 minutes here and four minutes there and two minutes here on your app. You know, you're not necessarily connecting with anybody else. Uh, you know, might just be listening to some recordings and kind of doing it. You know, certainly sometimes there's webinars, right? You might have an hour where the teacher sort of talks briefly about mindfulness and, you know, go sit there for, do a breathing exercise for 10 minutes and then come back and talk about a little bit. So there's really, I think at this point, a hugely diverse array of mindfulness training programs from, you know, extreme stuff where you have to quit your job and go relocate to, you know, Tibet or something uh, to, you know, apps you can listen to on your commute or, you know, on a five minute break. Um, so, you know, even there, you know, to say mindfulness training, there's, there's so many approaches today. It's really more of a menu than a, a specific model. I, I think that probably a good mindfulness program would be tailored to the company, right? Like here's where you can do this five minute break, or this is the meditation that can help in this situation. And, you know, like, I, I think, I mean, you can think about it from different perspectives. Like what's the temporal perspective, right? You know, when's the right time in the day for this to happen? Like, you know, and that was another implication we had with the last study. Um, you know, if you have customer service people who are expected to be fake, would you want to do a mindfulness program in the middle of the day with those people? Like, I'm not sure you would. Like, it might, you know, again, it's sort of extrapolating from results, but it sort of suggests that those people might feel worse or they might not like the training so much in the middle of the day. Maybe at the end of the day when they can be more genuine, you do it, it helps them recover from a tough day at the office or something like that, right? And, and again, this is just speculation. I don't really know if that's true. Thinking through the physical space, you know, like, is there a room set up or is it okay for in the culture for you to just do it at your desk or, you know, do people have to go off site to go do these kinds of things because it looks too weird, right? Uh, you know, is it something that ties in with some sort of process? Like, you know, like I've heard of no interruption zones, nurses using no interruption zones in a hospital, right? They, they want to make sure they don't do a medication error. You can do a 30 second meditation when, you know, you're about to go do a pass, right? And it's kind of like, hey, just like, let go of whatever's going on, tune in right now. Make sure you're looking at the label and the screen and whatever else correctly. So, you're, you're, you know, every patient gets the right dose at the right time. You're not making any mistakes. Like, obviously, these are just a few examples, right? But it's like there's just so many design considerations when you think about a program uh, because organizations are quite complex that way. Um, but I mean, I question for you, like, what are some of the things you run into, uh, you know, besides the top down and bottom up approaches, um, which makes plenty of sense to me? Yeah, I, I think like the big thing is just trying to fit it in, right? Like a lot of the companies that we work with, they're home health. And so they've got maybe 25 minutes for lunch and they're constantly driving, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. how do I do mindfulness, right? So what we've suggested is, okay, you, you park the car and you take two minutes, right? And just mm -hmm. breathe and say, I am here, right? I, I can mm -hmm. you know, feel your body, take some breaths. And then try to set an intention that I am here to help the patient that I'm about to see. And so that's what we've done uh, for them. You know, that that's kind of helpful. And then, you know, something that I do quite often, we do uh, with Kim is like ground before a meeting, we check in, right? Am I, we use green, yellow, or red. So am I here? Am I focused? Am I kind of like, is, can I sense my attention is wandering or am I completely not here and I'm not going to be a benefit, right? And so while you may need to be at the meeting, regardless of what color you are, at least, you know, your, your, your teammates can recognize, okay, 
maybe I'm not going to ask that question of Steven, or maybe I'm not going to be super critical right now because I know right. the answer I'm going to get is not going to be helpful. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. just like my wife's company has been using that for, I don't know, close to a year now. And just mm-hmm. people just feel like you said, they're so, they just feel so authentic, right? Like they, they know they can come to a meeting and they can come with their feelings. And even knowing that decreases the temperature in the room. And, and so uh, the buy-in for my customers, that's where I'm struggling at this moment. So we're typically working with BCBAs, so board certified behavior analysts. And so showing them this data, I hope will help with the buy-in. Yeah, I mean, I think it's from multiple levels, right? Some people are more technically, scientifically minded and they want to see formal evidence like some of the stuff I've been publishing and many other people at this point. Uh, on the flip side, some people are more experiential, right? And it's like, you know, like I have like friends, I have students, I don't even tell them to meditate. I just say, do something that helps you, increases your well-being and they try it out. Um, and then they're like, yeah, I wasn't planning on doing much, but I noticed all these things happening and like all these other things I didn't even expect would happen. Like, it's not just stress. It's like, I'm more focused, I'm more productive. And, you know, it's not me telling them they're going to have that, but it's more like drawing their attention to what their own experiences. I think it's different motivational approaches for different people. Um, and some people, it's just not going to work period, but you know, maybe to the extent you can sort of draw their attention to what they're, what they're undergoing while also giving them the the backing of serious scientific evidence, you mm-hmm. know, hopefully that, hopefully that works for, you know, a decent number of people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's bringing both pieces. Right. And yeah, like it just the reduction in, in burnout, like we can just see it. There was one of my wife's employees, you know, we were quite certain that she was going to leave. Right. Like she, yeah. just the writing was on the wall. And then we started this program And she came to my wife and myself and just said, thank you so much for doing this. My brother was going to Afghanistan and it was like the stress was like, Mm -hmm. and now I'm able to talk about it. And, and, you know, she's one of our most engaged employees now. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just like knowing that we can give that to someone is just like, okay, I got to do this. Right. I have to do this. So, you know, just bringing the data and, and showing that it can be effective. But, you know, part of what we do is we're teaching leaders that they have to be part of it, right? It just, like you said, it can't just be, okay, go take this, get this app, learn how to breathe, and you're good to go. It just, it's not as effective, right? It's, it's not going to help if that culture remains the same. So it, it's really building out the culture at the same time. But that's, that's all I got. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else that you would like to add. If there's something that you would like our, our audience to check, how, how they can check you out, would you like them to contact you? Uh, happy to have people reach out. My email is uh, clyddy1 at providence.edu. Or you can just Google me. Um, you, can, you can get me there off of my faculty webpage. Um, I also have a ResearchGate page. If you're interested, a lot of those papers are downloadable, um, as well as you can sort of check out uh, like I mentioned that Harvard Business Review um, post, as well as a couple other posts at the London School of Economics, their business review, um, sort of capturing little little practitioner summaries of, of uh, these much longer scientific papers uh, might be a little easier to read uh, for most busy people. Um, frankly, also, there's a ton of other research coming out, you know, like uh, you know, there's I'd say a few dozen people who are really working on this area at this point. So. Um, it's not hard to find um, lots of studies on mindfulness at work if you're curious. 
Yeah, I guess I'd just say from my perspective, uh, just go try it out. You know, it's not going to work perfectly for everybody in all situations for all outcomes. But, you know, my experience is most people who give it a, a proper go and really dive in, so to speak, you're probably going to see some kind of benefit, uh, you know, that you're going to experience directly and tangibly that's going to feel good to you. Um, so, you know, there's an enormous amount of science behind it. But at the end of the day, that to me, that's what matters, right? Does it make a difference to you in your life, in your experience, in your career? You know, lots of people, I would say, have that um, when they actually get into it. So give it a shot, right? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's yeah, been nice to chat about it. I really appreciate it. I know our business owners will love this. I think it'll be very helpful. So yeah, thank you again for your time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Hopefully it was helpful. If you would like to gain access to this entire video and actually our entire library of videos, please join our ABA Business Leaders membership. You can find that at www.3piesquare.com. Our membership also includes 33 CEUs, live events where you can come on and you know ask general questions about the business of ABA, and our closed Facebook group.